0: check-in question is what's in your uu go bag a chalice a lighter <laughs> a candle
1: yeah i would also totally bring like a little uh, a blanket a hymn altar thing yeah yeah <laughs> reading a reading book reading <laughs> um i might just keep that in <laughs> <laughs> Introduction. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Winding the Circle Sacred Story. Um, so I'm your host, uh, Williams Tao, and I use
0: they/them pronouns.
1: And I'm Jamelia
0: Omar. I use she/her pronouns.
1: Um, and I will say right here, I just was ordained, so I'm actually a reverend. Skyler Tao. <laughs> <Skye! Woo!
0: laughs>
1: um, this is the first time are recording after my ordination, so had had to throw it in there. Um, but in this episode, which is our 10th episode, we're discussing the congregations and communities chapter of Widening a Circle. And for this chapter, we will be um, centering the question, what conflict do we need? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but first um, we'll do a grounding exercise. So uh, thinking about, grounding yourself into the floor. Think about opening yourself up to the sky and think about all the places in between and strengthening your core to to hold both places together.
0: Maybe take a breath in and out. and
1: I'll read our opening while Jamili lights our chalice. We return to love again and again and again. We value what is true. We honor holiness. We try and we grow and we fail and we rest and we try. We are here together now. We need one another, we covenant.
0: So Skye, you wrote our question for today, what's the origin of that question?
1: Yeah, um, so part of the origin is that I was um, leafing through my copy of Whiting the Circle and mine is totally marked up. I, I, I early on made a decision to just like have a set of colorful pencils. If you me when I was reading. And so it's like all marked up with colorful things. Um, but the one, so one underlying that stuck out to me that I'd done before was on page 51. And it's in the recommendations for this chapter, one of the actions is to equip leadership development efforts at the associational or regional level. With information on how to facilitate needed conflict and how to promote racial equity. Um, Which led to this longer sort of thing in my brain about thinking about what conflict we need in our congregations Um, that I think this chapter is highlighting around um, things like pushing us to change from being a social club to being more theologically centered and that Knowing that like that sort of change can often come from discomfort and uncomfortable conversations which can lead to conflict.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or have people like sort of bring up some of these ways in which people in our congregation are different or have different ideas which again can be a space of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and the question I think what conflict do we need holding that idea that some conflict is actually really good. and. And, and helps us explore those differences between us and ways that are productive and our ways that help all of us to grow. Um, and at the same time, I think there's conflict that is not helpful. <laughs> like um, I was thinking, we talked to Reverend Sarah a little bit ago, and you know, she was sort of talking about these fights around, is the eighth principle too wordy? And that comes up to me as a conflict that's just not helpful. Um, particularly I think, I, I think, I think just is the eighth principle to worry is not a particularly generative or useful question to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, and, and there can actually think i be an interesting or a more, um, essential conflict that I think that is hiding that is, um, the question of is anti-racism work theologically grounded. Mm-hmm. And that actually, I mean, I think is, um, can be a useful conflict for our congregations when, maybe the dominant assumption or our congregation is that it's not or maybe that it is but people are resisting that Mm -hmm. um so to have that 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 sort of submerged conflict Mm -hmm. be out in the open or to be openly discussed and really be um like really have that real conversation as a congregation like do people think that's essential for Unitarian universalism can actually be a helpful thing um to To do that, you know really important discernment in this time together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where that question came out of for me this chapter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and to invite the congregations to discern, like you said, what what the the actual the root of the conflict is, mm-hmm. and the the root where it comes from, and what's needed conflict and what's not needed conflict, that that change will always be conflictual, and something in what you said um, kind of highlights for me the idea that we need to lead ourselves into this conflict so that we can become the organization that we aspire to and that we say that we are, and that is really important that it's not going to come out of a place of comfort that's going to come out of place of change, which is going to be out of conflict.
1: Yeah, and and I think this idea that sometimes, I mean, people talk about this, I think in in peace studies, but this idea that like, I'm thinking like my brain went to like peace and then like null peace, but like, I, I don't know if that was the term, but like this idea that sometimes not having open conflict doesn't mean that conflict doesn't exist. It means that it's going on in weird ways at the fringes of things or that there's underlying tensions that people just aren't addressing. And I don't think you need to address every tension, like communities have different tensions, but, um, you know, I think that it speaks to me of this like way in which, like, it can actually help us be more honest about ourselves Mm -hmm. to, um, open up some of the Um, the important things happening
0: Mm -hmm. i think it's really this this idea of conflict and the the ideas in this chapter are really tied up though in in fear and 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 what people are losing um that the, the chapter throws out the term we need to move away from a social club to becoming a religious organization almost glibly and i i worry that that's a moment or that that's a place of tension where people can say but wait a minute we're not a social club we do wonderful things we do social justice we do all of this it feeds me you know in my life and and it's been with me for years and I'm afraid that if it changes too much I won't actually be welcome here and that is a real fear that keeps us trapped and and by not acknowledging by not saying those fears out loud then Thinking about bone family systems, right? Where we triangulate, it's not this fear, it's this other thing. Um, and then we make this conflict in the system that really isn't about that, but it's my fear of losing my religious home because it's gonna look different or sound different or be different than when I came into it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, one thing, one thing that comes up hearing you say that for I me mean, is just like in part is the pastoral response of just like, you know, like I mean. <laughs> I think we all understand that fear, <laughs> you know. Like, I mean, and, and I think we will talk about this a little bit more when we talk about hospitality and welcome, but like, we also need to talk about folks who are already losing their religious homes or, or don't even get a chance to sort of have one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that it comes up for, for me is actually the first sentence uh, of this chapter that um, many of our congregations are in trouble is the first phrase with dwindling membership participation and financial contributions which is to say what's,
0: just what's yeah. interesting about the rest of that paragraph is we start this section with two assertions first that real-time face-to-face congregations mm. matter even with all the challenges to maintain them and in a time when church going is less valued and second we will also need to support alternative and often virtual communities in order to ensure their survival of communal associations, especially for younger UUs of color and those living in areas where less mainstream identities are less common. I mean, it's really a complicated first paragraph.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I brought it up just to say that, uh, you know, we talked about this in the trends section, but um, one thing that I hold Just in my own, you know, like religious professionalism Mm. or whatever, is that things are changing. Like, we don't, we actually don't get to uh, decide whether our congregations are going to change. Like, Mm. at this point, like, things are changing. We get to decide how, we get to control to a certain extent how our congregations change. And we get to control, I think, a little bit whether they die or whether they evolve. and I, you know, not to like, I don't think it's it's quite that stark and this is going to be a much longer process, but like just th- there are trends and there are things that speak to how things wow. are changing already. Um, wow. Yeah. And then, and then I think, which I think actually kind of leads us into what you were talking about with this, the, the second part of the paragraph around virtual and real time. And so I'd love for you to say more words about that.
0: Well, I think it's complicated because um, we know that the worship portion anyways if we just if we take worship out of all of the things that go around the hug around worship right saturday to saturday um or monday to saturday the stuff around worship if we just take worship out we know that there are communities that that can access online worship easier and because they're not walking into situations of unwelcome diswelcome reverse of welcome And microaggressions and outright aggressions and this conflict um, are more willing and able to be in community with us because they don't, because all of that stuff around worship of interacting and socializing um, isn't fraught online. They're in their space, they're in their safe space. um, And they have that. that. I think what complicates that is access, right? When we're talking about um, folks that are under-resourced, whether transportation or financially might not have access to the internet to watch worship. Um, we're talking about compl- another another whole subset of folks that aren't able to access Unitarian Universalism. Um, and so how how do we work for them? One of the things I thought was really significant in, in this chapter was um, the testimony by the person who came from a working class background, and the values conflict between them as working class and the, the orientation of the system to middle class or wealth. Uh, and I thought that was really significant in this chapter. Um. Yeah, let me yeah, know I if you did. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I will say throughout the chapter, um, I, I also stood out to me. There was one that was a testimony from African American woman who was really like explicitly laying out um, some of the the microaggressions and aggressions mm-hmm. she had experienced. That one mm-hmm. that one stuck out to me as also being like a really um, just clear picture mm-hmm. <laughs> of what somebody could experience. Um, and what somebody has, right? I mean, this is this is, I'm sure, from somebody's is, is from somebody's um, history and story.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and the the testimony um, on page forty six, a submitted testimony at the very end says, um, it seems to me there's a disconnect there, and there might be a way of expressing that disconnect. And therefore the struggle, so that's easier for somebody to say, yeah, I want to diversify as long as I don't actually do anything or change myself, as long as the congregation doesn't have to change. And I suspect that's kind of a struggle a lot of people are going through. So we want diversity as long as I don't have to experience it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I underlined that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that. That that was, I want it as long as I don't have to change myself or as long as the congregation mm-hmm. doesn't have to change. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting they talked about like the sort of preceding story was about how the church was showing interest around the concept of diversity, but not the concept of like anti-racism work or anti-white supremacy yeah. work. The person wasn't sure exactly what what the topic had been, but,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, um, which I also think, you know, I'm thinking about the the sort of question of conflict and like, mm-hmm. just to speak, like, there can also be conflict within ourselves Mm-hmm. around like you mean like fear right and that can totally be and we can feel fear and like hope and like trepidation around you know being asked to do something we're uncertain of and like you know like a desire like curiosity to figure mm-hmm. out like what exactly are these people saying I don't totally get it right um and can feel those things you know and 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 potentially care or sorrow or grief around like care for um you know like a um Ourselves or a friend who's bringing up things and like grief around things that have happened or um, like the history that we share, right? I mean, and, like I, I just think that like to name that we can absolutely have a whole lot of different feelings happening mm-hmm. inside ourselves that can be that can potentially be in conflict. Yeah.
0: yeah. One of the things that I I, um, I want to point us to in the chapter is that this is so far in going through this text again this this chapter has the most concrete Mm. examples and verbiage in it um and and I, i want us to start by talking about the um i think it was on page 40 in the printed text um congregational polity because i think that's that's a very concrete thing that we often get confused on um so what What was the the message about polity you were pulling out of this section by Reverend Dr. Natalie Fenimore? Yeah, I think it was this. um,
1: So one thing I think was this shift from that I've seen not just like, I you know, like I think her work is sort of interacting with has helped to spark and is also, I think, you know, sort of in response to like, I think there's a broader shift around moving towards greater collaboration amongst Mm -hmm. congregations and and so so that's a piece and I want to talk more about that and the where my eye is falling (laughs) like where I'm seeing right now is also this piece about democracy because I know we've had a conversation about democracy before on Mm -hmm. on this you know podcast video series Um, but her quote really stuck out to me is like um this is on the yeah page 40 the first little bit but and while the universalists value democracy it is best not seen as democracy in the purely political sense. This is not about winning the vote, winning by vote alone, but rather as honoring voices of all and listening to the call of conscience. Um, so thinking about that, I don't know, like, something that struck me about that being, you know, not just one person, one vote or one person, one vo- voice almost, but really being, uh, much more attentive to the community as a whole and whose voices are being represented and whose aren't and also like what the call of conscience is, right? I mean I think that's also sometimes expressed as what our mission is or um, what our calling is, right? Like that that piece. Um, and I know there and I feel like that's such a small piece of what she's saying. <laughs> so also like I don't know if you want to talk more about the the sort of piece I started with about this collaboration.
0: Well, the, the collaboration and um, the way she points me to that is, and, and I honestly, I have a soapbox about this, is um, Fred, uh, yeah, Frederick Muir's iChurch. I'm sure I've said this in this podcast before, but she's really talking about um, the power of the individual of our congregational and covenant community is best held with humility. And so she's really pointing us towards this Um, away from i church church is about me to we church that we are together are the church and we are the the body of it and responsible for each other and to each other which she says very well and then later in the chapter um on page 46 big bold letters it says unitarian universalist association Member congregations must act both as independent bodies and in coordination, covenant and communion with other congregations. So we're acting not as lone. She's, this document challenges us to deatomize, A-T-O-M, right? To, to come back together from the individual to the community, from the community, so a single congregation or church to the association to those in, in pr- both physical proximity and relational proximity to us. So she's taking us from this, I'm an individual and this is my church, to we are a group and this is our church. This is our association. Um, and to me, that's empowering. To me, that says you have compatriots at your back. You know, you have a support system that's broader. I think our, and you can speak to this better than I can, but our youth and young adults This is what they talk about when they go to conferences, is I saw myself as a part of a movement of an organization. I felt myself as a part of a whole that they were able to see when they went to these churches. And young adults have told me that as a youth, they can go to any UU congregation and feel at home because this is their faith. And isn't that a beautiful vision of who we are and what we wanna be, is that sense of belonging to each other
1: Yeah. Um, so it makes me think of a story, which also leads me to, I think, the, the other piece I wanted to explore in here, which I think is, is related. But this, like, I remember the first time I went to General Assembly. I know, like, this chapter actually talks about some of the problems with General Assembly and access, and particularly, I think, economically, but some other ways. Um, but this sense of being with so many other Unitarian Universalists. Like, like just the idea that there were this many Unitarian Universalists in the world. <laughs> like, um, because, you know, I mean, because a lot of my experience growing up, and I think this is this is a West Coast thing, I think more than East Coast thing, but nobody knows what Unitarian Universalism is. Like you say that and nobody, nobody knows what that is. Um and so just to like have this, you know, huge amount of people be, be unitarian merciless. And I think, you know, I think like, I'm also thinking about like youth caucus around what you're saying around like, has a really strong, I think, sense of, at least in in my experience of um, speaking as a caucus, right, and actually the real power that can come from the youth caucus speaking as a whole caucus. yeah, I mean, I think so in which which also brought up in my brain, um, a piece of this that's on page 41, but of this polity that um, Reverend Dr. Fenimore quotes Conrad Wright, um, and who says has this quote about um, the the UUA and how people sort of we call it the Unitarian Univer- Universal Association, sometimes perhaps when we are Tired and exasperated, we think of it as a distant bureaucracy and berate it as though it was something alien that has somehow been saddled on us. Sometimes in a more reasonable mood, we recognize that it is there to serve us, not merely with things like hymn books and religious education materials, but also with established and responsible agencies. For this very same consultation among churches, the Cambridge platform insisted was a necessary aspect of the fellowship of churches. But the UUA is something more than an agency to serve us. It is in some respects, it is ac- It actually, in some respects, it actually is ourselves. and provides an organ through which we may state from time to time, the consensus that prevails among us. So that the waywardness of particular churches may, if necessary, be revoked, although not coerced by the opinion of the whole. Which I just think speaks to, I mean, I, I think in what you were saying, right, that I think I think there is a difference and I think this exists in different ways for people about whether you think you are a member of a church or a member of a religious movement.
0: Um, That's really good. Say that again. Oh, just like <laughs> I, I think
1: I think there is a difference between whether you think you are a member of a church or a member of a religious movement..
0: Hmm. How would you behave if you felt that you were a member of a religious movement? Not you, the general you. How do people behave?
1: I mean, I actually I actually I was actually going more personal. <laughs> like, but just like I think about, like, you know, like, to me, some of these trends around religion are something i pay more attention to. I think, like, you know, I mean, because it's not just a question of whether a sort of Particular church dies. Although I think there can be like, not to say there's not real grief around that, but like that, you know, that there is this sort of bigger thing to be attentive to. And also, actually, what you said, right? I mean, like, you know, I grew up in a church, and then I went to a church that was near my college, and then I moved to Chicago, went to a church there, and then I mean, at that point, you know, I was in religious in ministry track. So then I moved to Syracuse and went and <laughs> was part of a church there, and now I moved back home. Right? I mean, like there's a way in which, um, I mean, each church is different and I like that's, you know, I don't, I think like you find home in different ways, I think, but that like, um, the sense that there's something bigger, which also, I know I know we have other, like, okay. It also makes me think of something you brought up much earlier, but this idea of like, in-person churches and virtual, and this idea that like, I think if we think of ourselves as a religious movement, like it's sort of all a piece of that. Like it's all like there's a lot. I, I believe there's a lot of ways to do things like faith development. There's a lot of ways to do things like worship. Actually, I feel like we're really this is this is a soapbox now, but like we're actually really limited in the way we perceive worship. Like like, you know, like a an hour service with a 20 minute sermon or a 15 minute sermon, like three hymns and like, you know, like that's really all that's a very it's like it's one way of doing worship and it is a beautiful way of doing worship, but it really is only one way of doing it. There's a lot of other ways. And so like, that's what I think of when I think of, you know, this in-person virtual, like, you know, I think like there's a lot of actually virtual spaces that are real and meaningful spaces. Um, And, and there are that, that provide that are like different, like are different, but that doesn't, you know, like, like, in like different from in person and there's like different ways you can do in person like my brain is like like it's like gender where like as I understand gender stuff it's not that we want you know like there to be no gender like to erase genders we want there to be like a plethora a rainbow like a bunch of million billion genders right so there's a lot of like there's a sort of fullness and like cornucopia of things you can do
0: and that's what part of what this chapter brings out is when we're thinking about the longevity of this faith movement and of our individual congregations. Our younger adults, take that how you will, younger adults, expect more. They expect a congregation that embraces those fullnesses, not just of race, gender, et cetera, et cetera, but also fullness of worship. And so how can we bring worship to a different place that meets those expectations and those those real needs um, for community and for worship and spiritual development for religious education because I expect it and and I don't think it's unrealistic I feel like we should be able to do it we have a fullness in this faith tradition um we should be able to expect I was thinking too about um the idea of covenanting that's really at the end of the chapter um And maybe this is a point I've already made, but it's in big bold again on page um, 48. Uh, they say, congregations lack a covenantal understanding with one another and with the association, which is critical to the effectiveness of congregational polity. And I think we've talked about that before, that our, our covenants, our agreements with each other are not that we will be the same, but that we, we will be in relationship with each other and respect the differences between our congregations. Um, I think that ties into what you were talking about, that every church you've been at had a different flavor um, and they're all in covenant with each other and that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, and sorry, it makes me, it it brings me back to the question of like that conflict, right? Again, like this negotiating difference. And like, I, I think, you know, like, I think, like, not that difference always breeds conflict. Like, I don't mean to be saying that, but that like, I do believe that, conflict arises out of our differences and that that's mm-hmm. actually a really valuable place to learn um yeah and and, and like the you know like like that some comp like like recognizing where incumbent i mean that, that just being actually a really important part of relationship or covenant right Is like negotiating when is when is conflict speaking to something deeper that we actually need mm-hmm. to address when is it um you know like sort of speaking to differences between us that are sort of like, okay, we just need to respect you're different than me. And I don't get why you wanna do that, but like, I just respect that we're different in that way. Um, And when does it speak to like, oh no, there's actually a danger here, right? Like you're noticing your neighbor Mm. is, you know, like not doing the diversity work or like the, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion work they really need to be doing or are terrible to their religious professionals, right? Like when is it, when is there some conflict that needs to come out to help protect people? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and doing the inner conflict of the change that's required, the, the change that's gonna be required to change our congregations. Um, that That's very much conflict, yeah. I'm formulating an idea that I don't know that that is is very well put together yet, but there's a way in which the congregations can and should lean into supporting its members in those changes and there's ways in which it's on the individual to make the change, to accept that. Um, And again, thinking about the parts and the whole is how do we do that? How do we offer, how do the congregations offer that support for members who are really feeling conflicted about these changes um, and not causing more harm to others in the process. Uh, Is there anything you wanna add? I'm gonna wrap us up and take us to our actions.
1: Um, So the thing that's in my brain right now is just this piece that um, actually uh, Jacarin talked about when we talked about trends. So this mm-hmm. thing about how we've actually already been doing this work for a long time, I think speaking to some of sort of anti-racism, anti-oppression work, anti-racism, anti-oppression work. And I think I just wanted to lift up that um, some of the relational work that I think is key to some of this, we actually have an incredibly solid theological foundation in, around covenant, right? I mean, we actually have, I'm not sure we always have great practices around it or we are totally developed in that theology. But I actually think we have a really solid theology around which to speak about our relationships as individuals within a congregation, between congregations and as a
0: whole association. Good. Well, our action, I wanna invite people to lean into those covenants (laughs) because As we close out today, um, I want to invite or challenge everybody to, uh, in in my printed copy, it's on page 47, there's actually a a call-out box called Recommended Congregational Practices to Increase Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity, and they're not panacea, they're not a magic pill that's going to make everything all right and better but i do think they're really wonderful places to begin especially at the congregational level um, and there are things that anybody in a congregation or a, um, a fellowship or a community at all can bring forward and propose to the board or to the leadership and say hey how about we do this one thing it doesn't have to be the biggest thing and it doesn't have to be perfect just to take the first movement forward and and making some of these come to to fruition. So there's a whole list. There's eight things, six things on there. Um, I'm sure people can think of other action steps to take. Um, but the goal is an action, something that we do to move us forward, and not just talking about it, uh, but actually doing something. Anything else you want to add, Sky? Reverend Sky.
1: No. Is there anything else you want to add? I feel like you always ask me this question.
0: No, I'm I feel complete. Yeah. Um and I and I wish everybody to go in peace, go in power, go do good in the world, and go knowing that you are truly deeply loved. <laughs>
1: podcast, we'd like to say a few thank yous. Thank you to Unitarian Universalist Justice Arizona or UU Jazz, especially to Janine Gelsinger and Phoebe Dubich. And thank you all for being with us. Remember that you can contact us at UUSacredStory at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.